Today's episode of A Waste of Time with It's The Real is sponsored by the good people at Martell Cognac, the oldest of the four great cognac houses established well over 300 years ago. When the night's young, who you ring is a tough choice. But when it comes to what to order at the bar, there's only one call. Martel. Martel. Martel VS Single Distillery is a cognac of exceptional richness and vivid fruit aromas, crafted from one source, which leads to a richer taste and an intensely flavorful cognac. Perfect for when your baby picks up, or those times when she's definitely just on a conference call for work and everything is just fine. Martel. Martel Blue Swift is the first ever VSOP cognac finished in Kentucky bourbon barrels. It combines Martel's signature style of delicate fruit and plum notes, now complemented by the subtle sweetness of vanilla and toasted oak from the bourbon casks. Blue Swift is always on time, and honestly, the ringer must have shifted in the pocket, because it shouldn't have been on silent. Thank you to the Martellophone Man for supporting It's The Real. If you support us, and you want to see this podcast flourish, go support the good people at Martell Cognac. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. As our loyal listeners know, we've been traveling a bunch lately. We've been to Los Angeles. We've been to Atlanta, to New Orleans. We went to Austin, Austin. Texas, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Northeast Ohio. There's probably a Jersey trip in there. But one trip that we have not talked about is the trip around the bases Woo! at City Field, home to your first place, New York Mets. Home run. <laughs> Shouts to our friends over at New Balance who invited us over to City Field. Uh, you know what was interesting about that day? What's that, Eric? Was that, was that it snowed? It snowed in the spring. Yeah. And we were not able to take part in the home run derby that we were promised. And by the way, we're not exactly sure how it would have been handled in the first place because none of us, not Ravy B, not Cam from Duce Palooza, not Joe LaPuma from Complex, not us. None of us are going to hit, you know, some bombs down the left well, field no. line. Speak for yourself. I've been doing a lot of HGH. Oh, is that right? A lot of, um, you know, horse. Oh, for basketball? Yeah, I've been playing. Oh, oh, oh horse tran tranquilizers. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I was thinking of heroin. <laughs> so so we um we went there and their their rainy day and really snowy day plan was to just go into the batting cages and uh, take our hacks in there. Yeah, get some frozen ropes. That's right. And... Listen, the whole event was amazing. Like, you walk in there, and they have these giant baseball cards with our faces on them. They have custom headphones for us from Beats by Dre, and they have uniforms for us. And we did get asked a few weeks earlier to send our picks for our walk-on music. Well, I was going to do Nelly's Batter Up. Which, you know, on the nose. Yeah, well, I wanted the the, the welcome, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Right, just on the loudspeakers outside. It would have sounded so good, but it then I was like, uh, it's a little bit like, I don't know, hacky. And so I was like, all right, what if I was to do Return of the Mac right. by French Montana? Ah. Because it is a New York homecoming for me. So that's that's a really good one. Yeah. 
Did they get it right? They did get it right. They played. I would have uh, thought that they would have gotten that wrong. I w- thought they would have played, you know, Mark Morrison's version, which, by the way, is great. Yeah, but not the superior it's, version. But it's the not superior French, version right. would be French Montana. And As you know, this is a household that reveres French Montana. Totally. Un- well, not today, though. Not on this podcast. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. No. Shout out to Jim Jones. Yeah. But. Yeah. But they got it right. They mm-hmm. got your song right. I, as everyone knows, love Two Chains verse on Champions. Right, by Kanye West. Or or the good music, you know, family, right? Yeah, the good music cartel. And I went in there just pumped to hear the song, and they played instead of Champions, they, they played, played Champion. champion. Do you realize you were a champion in this? Which I mean, great song. Bam bam but yes I did. But it's just a little light. <laughs> Walking into the batting cage. Not and, the song you want to hear. Well, it, and it didn't affect, you know, my stroke. I, I got I got 18 hits. You got 20-something? I came in third place. Which is which is great. Behind... Yeah. Um, well, me and Joe LaPuma tied. Nice. Shout out to, to you and Joe. Yeah. Russ Bankston beat you out. Yep. And then I and think... And then the professional lacrosse player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul... Paul not going to work here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to him anyway. Nice yeah. guy. yeah. The other thing about that day is that we left with a ton of stuff. Like I said, the headphones and the uniforms and the gloves and, and all that. Yeah. With engraved bats. Yeah, we have we both have bats in our house. Like real legitimate baseball bats well, with which our is a names. Great thing because as you know, we have not been guys who lock the top lock on our door. <laughs> so only DJ Premier does. So. And so failing DJ Premier hanging out in our apartment, We're we have gonna... two bats. So if you're trying to break in our place, yeah, you want to come in here and you want to bring your mixtape. Just know I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna leave with your name with Jeff's name on your forehead. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get some real Julio Franco cuts in. There you go, some Ray Ordonez <laughs> choppers down the uh, your kneecap. Oh, Jeff, today on the podcast, today in the podcast we have our great friend Jim Jones, the cult leader. There you go from. Well, this is Gu- this is uh, Joseph Guillermo Jones, right? Guillermo Joseph Jones, or yeah, G- Joseph Guillermo Jones. Well, whatever, Jimmy Jones, Jim Jones, Jim not Jones, the cult leader. Dipset diplomats, Eastside, Vamp Life, Harlem representer. Jim Jones finally came up here to the apartments. He came to South Harlem to have a dope conversation, and man, he he lived up to uh, our expectations. Yeah, we uh, we talked about everything from. You know, him growing up in Harlem and moving around the east side. Going to the skate key, going to Jersey, to different clubs, going to the tunnel. We asked him if he had ever thrown up the rock. Yeah, uh, we <laughs> listen. Stay tuned for that. We also talked about his time, and not a lot of people know this, the time that he worked over at... Uh, Warner Music Group. Warner Music Group as the director of A&R. We talked about the first time we met Jim Jones, which is a crazy story. And we talked about... Just a whole lot of stuff with Cam, with Zeke, with Jewels, T.I. Um, and, and all the Rockefeller stuff. First time meeting Jay-Z and Biggs and, and all this stuff. So for everybody who wanted this Jim Jones episode to drop immediately. Oh, that's me. We think it's worth the wait. So so here it is. Here it is. Stop waiting. Jim Jones, it's the real. Jeff, when do you want to get into it? Right after um, people leave a comment oh. and subscribe yep. on iTunes get our itunes numbers up why not why not or else there's a bat with jeff's name on it jeff guillermo (laughs) 
Rosenthal. <laughs> Jeff, when do you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, aka Traffic Jam, aka Moving Weight. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, aka Fix Your Face, aka Feng Shui Lee. Oh, it's Jones, aka Cavill <laughs> Yeah, and this is Waste Tell Me This is the Real. <laughs> Jimmy, what's happening? I'm good. <laughs> How y'all feel? We're good. Yo, congratulations on this project. First and foremost, Wasted Talent. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, the teaser video that you put out is you and Cam playing basketball and you walked in here with a basketball injury so oh yeah i was trying to play a celebrity game man, so. yeah how'd that work out, <laughs> it didn't work out too good. so what's up are we rocking the sling for the whole summer then um no, i can move my arm now i just try to keep it in the sling as much as possible for the next couple of weeks so i don't really i can heal up right and not really you know what I mean? so it's cool well, all right then when are we getting you back out there on the court um, I don't think I'm. <laughs> I want to get back in the gym, though. That's that's my, uh, you know, that's my passion. I love being in the gym, but with the slow injury, all I've, uh, all I could do is legs and core and shit like that. So you know. All right. So last summer we put together this celebration of Rockefeller Records, and uh, we brought together all on one stage, Biggs and Hip Hop and Lenny S and Young Guru, Just Blaze, Chaka Pilgrim, uh, Young Guns, Freeway. And and we wanted to make sure that we placed that call to Harlem. Yeah. And uh, well, let's just play a clip from that show from Highline Ballroom. Um, Jim, real quick, uh, who's the more surprising guest up here, me or you? <laughs> that was a good one. You got me. Um, Jim, can you also talk about uh, what you remember about Oh Boy? Uh, oh Boy, the record? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't think we were supposed to have that record. <laughs> nah. We, uh, I mean, it was like a comp, a compilation, more or less. Yeah, can we, we, we squash we this once and forever? Can we just yeah, tell yeah, the real accurate please. story? Yeah. That's, please. We could tell an accurate story. Yeah, I remember okay. what happened. I want to hear from just. I want to hear from just. I remember what happened. I want to hear from him. That's what I want to hear. Okay. So I made the beat on an SB1200, first of all. The SB1200 that I think you might have in your house. Man, technical out of nowhere. Like, sorry for the tech. Yo, can I tell the story? Here's a tech. Here's a tech. Tell the story, guys, baby. Sorry. All that 1200 Pro Tools. I, I, I passed I, I, that part. This is I, I, SB930. That was I, 20 I, minutes. We I, gave I, them 20 <laughs> minutes in that. Something else. Come on. I can do this or I can leave right now. One button. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm gonna turn this mic off. Nah, for real. Can I? Can you I make want me to? I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it two seconds. I'm you can't make it two make it seconds because you weren't there. No, I'm telling. No, he was there. No, he was there. This I'm is annoying. He was okay, there. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. The fact of the matter is, I made the beat on the SP. Bleak said no. That sounds like love song music. Made it for Bleak. I made it again. He was. I made it Turned out a lot of heat. FYI. Yes. He definitely did. He turned. I gave him whoa. He wasn't there. Right. He definitely turned out whoa. Bleak turned out a lot of heat. Okay, I gave him Uchi Wally, right? I didn't know that one. He definitely gave him Uchi Wally. He played Old Boy to Bleak first, and Bleak. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But well, Bleak is my due, nigga. We're not gonna shit on Bleak. No, 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 no. All due respect. All due respect. <laughs> it wasn't the same beat. It wasn't the same beat. It was a very fast one, and I was like, oh yeah, maybe I fucked up. So I went and made it again. Played it for Jay. This was before we do Blueprint. Jay said, "Yeah, that's dope. Hold it for me." I held it for him. Nothing happens. He wasn't recording. So then about 
uh, about a year later, eight months later, I play it for him again. He's like, I play it for him. He's like, yo, that shit is cool, but I'm about to do this Pharrell record real quick. So I'm like, all right, cool. It is what it is. Then you call me hit while I'm at home. Mm-hmm. Yo, I just gave you. Remember, you used to have the infamous yeah, I had CD the, book. The CD book. That's what happened. Because I remember they came early one morning. And they was mad at me, and they was like, yo, hip, you never give us shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, yeah, we had vengeance in us. And, and, you know what I mean? And, and we go way back, so I felt like, you know what I mean? I was like, yo, I got some shit here. And I remember putting the CD in, and then I remember Cam just going, like, okay, let's do that. Go get Guru, get Guru. You know right. what I'm saying? But then you called me. Guru. You called me, and then Guru called me and said, yo, they yeah. rapping to the old boy. They're about to rap to yeah, the old boy. To the old boy. It, said, it said old boy on the CD. Right. On the joint. Right. But can I just spell all this shit about like niggas was on some bullshit. It was never nothing like that. I was that. never no the bullshit. The nigga camp came in the studio. He was like, yo, go. He still ain't rap on that beat? Yo, put that beat up. I'm about to destroy this shit. Yeah. That's all Cam said to me. He was yeah, like, yo, uh-huh. he still ain't. It's like a year later. Yeah. He was like, yo, put the beat yeah, up. We got to have that. Him, yeah. and, and, and at the time, it's like Joel just went ham on the joint. You know what I'm saying? Because so it stopped on the first version of where he says, Guru, start popping them. Yeah, and I remember Cam was like, yo, Guru, we're not even playing with this. Put a rough mix on it. And he ran to the radio station, yep. and he pressed enough, yep. and enough played the record, yep. and Dame came to the studio. He was like, yo, we shooting a video to that yeah. Friday. But before that, in the office... Yeah, but Welcome to Rockefeller Records. Yeah. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, I mean, well, when we all signed to Rockefeller at the time, it was a... Started off as a tight-knit group, and you know there was a little bit of a separation. But all in all, everybody has their own uh, relationships with the and rapport with it with each other. So you know. Let's take it back to the very beginning. Tell us what it was like growing up in East Harlem. Growing up on the east side of Harlem. Um, east side is cool, man. You got to see a lot of dope hustlers coming up. A lot of great basketball players. Um, East Side was fast-paced. Uh, they called it El Barrio. Uh, a lot of Spanish people. Um, Big family. Big family, me? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a big family, but we all didn't live on the east side. I, mm-hmm. At that time, I was living with my cousin David and my aunt Viola um, on the east side. I was, I lived with a lot of different family members coming up when I was younger, and the east side was uh, just one of my destinations. So, but the east side was fun as hell. Um, you know, R.I.P. Bloodshed. Though, uh, he was an east side legend. Um, Cam uh, used to come back and forth over there when he, he would stay with his grandmother from the west side and shit like that. And he would come and bust niggas' ass in basketball. <laughs> and, um, they were uh, always rapping and they were definitely talented. And, you know, we just were teenagers doing what teenagers do uh, trying to get new sneakers, trying to get somebody to get us some liquor out the liquor store, uh, pooling our money together to get weed. Uh, Going to going to grown ass parties way too early. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was us. We uh, we thought we was grown at the age of fourteen or fifteen. <laughs> we definitely started to attend some of the most premier events at such a young age. But I guess that's a Harlem thing. Goes both for guys and girls. That's a uh, you know that got fooled by the cool crowd. Well, growing up, like what what events are you going to? Like what? Oh, back in the day, yeah, uh, you're probably not clubbing yet. But what parties are uptown? What are the places that you're hanging out at? Well, I had their own little couple parties and stuff like that. Like you know, when we were younger, we first would go uptown. Like building four eighties would have parties. Minnison would have parties. Um, 
there was a church that had some parties. That was it. Then you know, when you hit the cusp of fifteen to sixteen, you um, kind of stepped it up. You uh, probably go to the skate key. Mm. Skate key up on Allenton. <laughs> Were you nice at skating though? Was I nice at skating? Yeah. Oh, I know how to skate. I don't think I was the nicest at skating. <laughs> I wasn't really going to skate key to skate. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you skate, you have some fun, but the most of the time you was going up there to see the girls. You know, uh, all the all the all the high school kids, all the cool high school kids was there, the older kids. Um, and then after that, the next step was full blown clubbing. We would go to skate key in Jersey. You know, Jersey clubs closed early, like two, and we would rush. Back to the rink of Allison because they closed like three and then. Um, Wait, which one of you had a car though? We would put cabs on hold back in the day. Very few had cars. Like my uncles and them used to hustle, so they had the Lexus four door and all that <laughs> back in the day. I would get in with them, but like Cam and God bless Huddy, they would put cabs on hold. That was the infamous thing to do when he was younger and he was hustling and he got a couple of dollars. Call a Harlem cab base, yo. Let me get nine three on hold. Tell them I want a more hold. Going on holds. It was like thirty dollars an hour back then for a cab to put a cab on hold. Keep a cab on hold for ten hours. Just riding around smoking mad weed. You had Branson weed. You had Fifty Sixth Street. Had some of the good weed. Uh, like, it was just a lot of different places we would go. Harlem was his own little, his own little world, man. It just was. And then, you know, from the east side, I uh, went back to the Bronx. And then from the Bronx, I came back and then ended up on the west side. And then the west side was a whole different ball game. It was way different from the east side. So last year, you did this epic interview with Funkmaster Flex. So good. In which you said that early on, you figured out that you were the enforcer of the crew. When did you figure out that that was your lane in life? In life, I just was always a protector of myself. I, I wouldn't take no shit. I, I started young with me and Zeke. Zeke was kind of my enforcer when I was young. He was always a little bit more bigger, to, bigger than most of the kids. Had a lot of size on him, and we was loose. He went to from summer school or elementary school to high school and Catholic school. You know what I mean, you know. That me and Zeke then did it all, very aggressive, always fighting, you know, drinking forties before school, getting in <laughs> trouble with Catholic school, robbing the Catholic school store, buying sneakers with the money, selling candy, stealing candy out the store, selling it to the school. He was just doing all type of shit to get fresh, just so in the weekend we could go to whatever club we was going to or, or wherever we was meeting at, like. We did a lot of shit at a young age, more more than that, than, than grown-ups did all their life from, I would say, from the age of, I would even say, just the whole high school career was just a little bit edgy. We just was going for it, like, you know what I mean? Like, coming in, staying outside, five, six in the morning, just running through the streets of Harlem. It just was natural. I mean, we stayed outside more than we stayed inside. Did you feel creative in high school? Yeah, hella creative. We was always creative. Oh, we always had that pizzazz. Like, I kind of always led was the leader of the bunch per se and shit like that. Like, you know, I led with fashion. I always got fly my own different way, but just not like buying everything everybody else had because I didn't have it all the time to buy what everybody else had. But I knew how to put shit together, and I come out looking fly. The most niggas wouldn't had all the fresh shit that the girls. Thought it was fly. Yeah, but so, how'd that work with Catholic schools having uniforms? Yeah, but me and Zeke found a way to swag it out. We <laughs> would, we would um, say we sprained our ankle, damn near <laughs> five times a month. Every time we got new sneakers, we would say we sprained the ankle. 
Cause they would let you wear a sneaker to school, one sneaker, one shoe. So when the Jones would come out, all of a sudden both of us had a sprained ankle. We limping in with the Jones, like, yeah, nigga, you know what, you know what's going on. We, I, we got them though, nigga. You got the other sneaker in your book bag, like, nah, we was just terrible in Catholic school. We was, we went to Cap, we was in Catholic school when Fresh Prince of Bel Air was popping. So we kind of was 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 Will Smith in our in our high school, but a little bit more aggressive and shit like that. All of we was wearing the blazers inside out. We was dragging, had the whole, we had the whole school dragging a book bag by one pandle. Like nobody was wearing a book bag. They just dragging us just alone. It's for the principal call us to the office, told us stop dragging the book bags. We got the whole school following y'all. Like now, me and Zeke was bad. We used to rob kids for their tuition, all type of shit. Play fight, go in your pocket, take your tuition. You don't even know you got robbed. <laughs> me and Zeke was terrible. Blank checks, check fraud. <laughs> Take a five hundred dollar check, go get a notebook at the at the school office. They had to give you change. You take the change, go buy sneakers with it. Four hundred and ninety five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> we just was wilding, bro. We was we was going for it, man. When we was younger, man, it just. But it was the law where we was from. We came outside and we wanted to be like the older dudes that we saw. We thought they was doing it. They always had the new sneakers. Some of them had some cars. Always had jewelry. The fly bitches. They looked the cool, and they were smoking their weed and drinking they they liquor and shit like that. On they your were, block? Yeah, on my block. On, that, on any on every block in Harlem. There wasn't no no block different in Harlem. This is this is what you saw. This is what the epitome of being in Harlem was. This was the end all be all. I gotta be like that, and we thought that's what it was coming up in the early eight in early 90s and shit like that when you when we start to become young men and, and able to fend for ourselves and shit like that you know the direction that we went was in that direction of a hustler's direction you know what i mean like some of us are talented came and then were talented to play basketball and at an early age had a way out but you know due to the law of the streets they wasted that talent just just like the album that's what it means it don't not necessarily a bad thing but there's a lot of things that we went through in life where we wasted our talent on and we could have kind of flourished at that but the law of the streets held a lot of us back we just fortunate enough to use our street appeal to be able to get in the music game and, and and show them everything that we did in harlem we got paid for it we didn't live no different or do nothing different when we got into the game we just gave them harlem on 10. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, but what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, shit, I had I still got some shit for like twenty five years in my wallet. I had a couple things I wanted to be. I want I I was so fly. I always thought I I wanted to be a model, wanted to some type of fashion. Um, there was a lot of couple things I wanted to be, but I kind of did all the things I wanted to be by being in the music industry. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff had to do with entertainment and fashion and just. Being somebody that everybody loved and adored, like you know, I used to say, um, "I'm not famous, but all the f famous people know me." That mm -hmm. was my slogan when I was younger and shit like that. It meant a lot well, to me. Yeah. How sure were you that you were definitely going to graduate high school? That's how my household was built. It wasn't no getting around. I finished high school, high school in my household. My, my my grandmother and my uncles and my family they was heavy on education and academics like they were so heavy on it that it kind of prevented me from playing sports not that i wasn't good i was dead nice and playing basketball but attendance they didn't want me to be playing on the team because they felt playing basketball would take away from my academic spirit so that led to me just being in the street after school every day instead of being at basketball practice or being at track practice or being that you know what i mean and yeah i was a little bit small so 
homework and none of that shit was never a problem. Like, me and Zeke maintained st straight A's and honor rolls and all type of shit when we was coming through high school, just off cheating and doing whatever. <laughs> like, you know, you, you got good grades in our households, both alike, you got what you want. Zeke grew up a little bit more different than I did. His pops was like a heart surgeon, his mom was one of the top nurses at the, at the hospital, so they he, he his lifestyle was illa. And the shit that he was doing under the roof that he was living didn't make sense. Like, damn, <laughs> it's just crazy and shit like that. You know what I mean? When did you and uh, Cam first meet? Me and Cam first met on the east side. Guess we about 13. Um, I remember they was like, um, see, we were stuck in our own bubble on the east side. We didn't know too much about the west side. So the older kids that did play ball and was in high school and you get to meet different people and shit like that. Like, basketball was a big thing in Harlem, especially on the west side. But on the east side, we kind of was, like, out the bubble a little bit, even though we had other shit going on that we were known for. So when he was got to the east side, we had a recreation center um, in 1199. 1199 is kind of like a, a bougie project in the middle of Harlem. It was four buildings. There was co-ops. It was 32 floors, high-rises. Most of the kids there, families, was doing pretty good and shit like that. So Duke the guys are from over there? Yeah, mm -hmm. people thought that we were... A little bit snooty, <laughs> that we would push over, so the kids from the projects would come over. We would always had to fight and kick ass to show that we wasn't no joke and shit like that. I just lost where I was. You at. and Cam. Oh yeah, so you know we're coming up on the east side, just going to eleven nine nine recreation center and shit like that, and you hear people whispering, "Yo, that kid Cam, that kid Cam just moved over here. That kid Cam, yo, he dumb nice man. He one of the nicest kids in Harlem at it for his age." And it was just like a basketball conversation and shit like that. So. When we f and we was the young kids from the recreation center. Like I had a cousin named Dave that was tremendously nice. Like he should have went to the NBA. And I wouldn't say he wasted the talent. He didn't have the opportunities that a lot of these basketball players, like a lot of opportunities like Cam had, as Cam was so infused in the basketball community through the west side of shit. We just was on the east side. So my cousin Dave was just like retardedly nice for, <laughs> for just like it was almost like a, like a gift from God that gave him and uh, Cam came over and I was like man he can't fuck with my cousin Dave he can't fuck with my cousin Dave and lo and behold the first time it was the recreation center and it was on the basketball court and it was me and my cousin Dave on one team and Cam was on another team and the nigga was nice like they said but my cousin was nice like I said and <laughs> That built to a competitive relationship between me and Cam from the start, even to now and shit like that, even with getting fresh and girls and shit like that. Whatever it was, it just, we had this thing, we'd come outside and call each other bum-ass niggas all the time. Like, you a bum-ass nigga, I seen you with that outfit on yesterday. You fucking bum, you disgrace me. <laughs> that's, that's how we would talk to each other and shit like that. And every time we was fresh, we'd make sure we made each other see each other. Like, nigga, you see how I run out, nigga. I'm getting money, nigga. Fuck you talking about. This, this, this regular Harlem shit, that's... Harlem banter, nigga. Harlem banter was about who getting money, nigga, and, and how fresh you is, and <laughs> trying to get some ass, and well, you know what I mean. Just regular kids, man. Just coming up. Who were the big people in Harlem when you were coming up? As far as what? As far as the the music scene or people who were flashy, people you saw on the street, like who were the major figures? In my project, it was a kid named. It was a guy named Big Dave. God bless the dead. He passed away. He was probably the uh, richest person to come out of my project. Millionaire. Um, LL Cool J used his bands on his on one of the covers albums and shit like that. Mm -hmm. Like uh, that's that's in my hood. That um, coming up hustling and we came up 
under a dude named Dita in our projects. After Big Dave, Dita used to work with Big Dave, and Dita probably was the richest nigga coming out of our projects. Man, then, you know, our projects was the Dust Projects. It was a lot of different niggas getting money. You had niggas uptown, like, my man O and shit like that. I don't even want to say his full name right now because I don't even know if he's still getting busy, <laughs> but it was a guy named O, shit like that. My, 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 one of my dude's brothers, he had the navy blue uh, 600 V12s back in, like, 91 and shit like that. And we used to go crazy when we see him. And, you know, my block, you had no fear. That was... Jim Ice and all of them and shit like that. You had Fritz up the block. That's all my neighborhood on 12th Street and shit like that. Um, these all the niggas that was getting some real major money. You had Fat Pop in my hood. They used to come to the Kingdom games all flashy and shit like that. Um, and then after the, the watching the era, we started getting money. And, oh man, Light probably was getting the most money in, in Harlem besides Baby Maine and shit like that. Like they kind of was battling. It's, Gentlemen making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a day and shit like that. That shit is unheard of. I'm talking about <laughs> two summers straight and shit like that. Like you know, these are just cash hand over fist and shit like that. And just the whole era of the homies and everybody I watched growing up. It just was a fast pace. I seen a lot of money get made. A lot of niggas get locked up. A lot of niggas get killed in a short span. Like in a matter of years. It's all before the year two thousand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. After the year 2000, it's probably when we took music and life more serious because we had lost the deal at that time, and the next thing was to give a Right, but effect. before the rock deal, before Cam's deal with Un, did you guys battle like outside Mart 125? No, I can't. I mean, Cam and them would do their little battles every now and then, but it was that whole rap battle scene wasn't like it is today and shit like that. It was more ciphers and shit like that. Mm -hmm. People get on niggas' blocks and Cam would go roast a nigga. Cam was dead nice. Like, him and Mace was, was nice coming up and bloodshed and shit like that. Yeah, but when did you realize that they were the nicest? West. Right, when was the first time you heard... Like, we grew up, they were from playing basketball. Cam and them was doing music since earlier. From from when he moved over to the east side, he was already doing music and shit like that. And it's because of bloodshed lived and not and, and deep building and shit like that. And then blood started getting into the rap and then... You know, Digger, they was all doing the CLC thing, and then when he came off the east side, that's when I met them, and I got in tune with them doing the music and became an advocate for what they was doing and a representative of everything that was going on from there on then and shit like that. But them niggas was talented, like, talented, talented, talented. Like, the biggest breakers when they start to do the clue tapes and, and, and all the mixtapes and shit like that. That's around the same time Locks was doing mixtapes and shit like that. I like to say this, like, 94. 94, 95, 95, 94, summer 94, and going through the year 95 is when they start really making their claim in music and shit like that. And we start going to the tunnel. We were like 16, 17, we all in the tunnel, 18. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, what, was the, what was the most amount of people that you brought to the tunnel? Oh my Probably God. Like <laughs> Probably like a hundred, yeah. Like maybe like I would like to say like a hundred. I would go. I would get this some nice and then mark me like, are you killing? You know, you know. And he would just tell me like, bring them. You got to bring them in ten at a time, bro. You can't bring all these people in at one time, bro. And I'd be making eleven, twelve trips. And this is when the rap police was gang unit, so they'd be looking, and then they start asking the people at the club, yo, who is this nigga? That you're not saying nothing. He keep bringing all these people in and all these gang. And the legend of Jim Jones is born. 
Yeah, and and who was working the door? Mm, Peter being in front sometime. Mark was the head of security. Bobby Trans used to work yep, too. Yep, yeah. He'd be inside of shit, so he had to see me before I got in. Like he was the last dude to take the tickets, and he just be like, oh, I don't know what they. I, I'm not telling you nothing. You heard? Like this guy. Had. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you brought up Bobby Trends. He's he, one of my favorite guests that we've ever had up here. And um, I know he talked about how he used to work the tunnel door. I used to hand out the comp tickets mm. in the tunnel. Mm. Um, even before that, I used to have to stand at the door and hand out <laughs> fucking flyers all so night. So all the white girls with big tits got in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> not, no. Actually, every all, single one. All the fucking scary ass thugs, man. Because right. they'd come in and be like, I better get it for free, man. You're gonna die. You know what I'm saying? It was crazy. I'm just like, my man. Like, how do like I'm working, like, how do I defend myself without getting fired again? Right, you gave away you know your switch 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 switch. Like, Yeah, It was fucking crazy, man. It was like they were like, yo, yo, that guy over there just make sure you take care of him because he he's the guy that supplies all the guns and the and the um vests for hmm. all the like the everybody. Yeah. He's, New York he's, Police he's, Department. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um he actually died. Damn. Um, he had a heart attack or something, so we could talk about him. It's okay. So, you, uh, so who who was coming through? Dipset. Oh, so n- no, Jim Jones. Yeah. <laughs> came through. There was no Dipset at the time. There yeah. was Cameron. Yep. And Jim was his um, road manager slash hype man. Yep. He'd come through with fifty bloods. Everybody dressed in red. Like there was no hiding it. Totally. Like it was like, no, nah, let's try our best to wear everything red. <laughs> When did music go from a, a, a hobby to a career for Dipset? Um, when he first got his deal signed, we 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 were in the game, but we were in the game with little knowledge about what we were doing. Um, we were with some people that had a lot of money and a lot of resources, but had little knowledge of how to ex- execute and use those use that money and resources to for what the album should be on and shit like that. So they. Ended up losing their deal, and from them losing our deal, we lost we lost our deal, and ended up being stuck on a label that really couldn't do nothing for us. So, when that happened, is when we kind of got discouraged. So, kind of knocked us back, and you had to live life, and you know you got to take chances or whatever it is that we chose to do, and we, we bounced back by Dame giving us a giving us a line, a Rockefeller line. It started with him managing, and then him from managing to him. Offering camera deal. Well, what was it like for you the first time you met Jay? Um, I never really met Jay. It's kind of like popped up. Mm-hmm. You heard a camp sign, and I was always there. Me and Jay built that rapport about me coming to the studio and eventually him talking to me like, "Yo, you know this is my spot." <laughs> like, yeah, I know this your spot, bro. <laughs> like, what, what you trying to say? Like, nah, bro, you get, you know, there's a certain way niggas pay homage or a certain way gangsters salute each other, especially when you walk in somebody else's spot. And it's like, ah, right, you got it. You absolutely right, blood. I won't let that happen no more. <laughs> I apologize for that. And that's how we got on the talking basis and shit like that. And, and that's it. But, you know, I guess they could tell that I was the wild one out of the bunch and shit like that. And, for my demeanor in a way, I used to come in and they used to play guts. I'd get in the game, <laughs> camp with my thousands of dollars with them. It was a real good experience, man. When was the first time you met Biggs? I've known Biggs for years. And you, side, like he, you went to high school with hip-hop? Yeah, I went to high school with hop. He was like a year, year, year before me or two years before me. 
I ended up, I ended up getting kicked out of Catholic school my senior year. Ended up in Richmond. And that's where Hoppin and was going to school at already. Big is just like a little a legend on the east side already for having work and having money and shit like that. For anyone just uh, wondering, uh, Jim has a green apple. <laughs> so how well did you know Un? When you guys first signed that deal, and and who was advising you guys? Yeah, like, did you guys have lawyers? Did you guys have? Yeah, had a lawyer. We had no advisors. We 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 were our own advisors. We still our own advisors. Mm-hmm. We didn't have no older people that gave us no advice. We learned by making mistakes. But what about Mace? Did did his success show you how to do business in the right way or or in the in the in the wrong way? Well, Mace gave him Cam to help a hand against Sam, but we wanted to take our own role. We didn't, we didn't want to follow after the path of Mace. So, what was the conversation with Dame like when you decided that you couldn't be at Epic anymore? Conversation was cool. I think I, you know, Dame was a businessman at that time. He was hot. He knew he knew what Cam was worth. It made sense. Did you think it was realistic that you guys would be able to get out of that that Epic situation and? And go somewhere else, or was it like maybe you'll have to stay and and abide by that contract and have to put another album out with them? We did put an album out there, and then after we put that album out, when we looked to uh, get off the so label. I remember exactly where I was. I remember the gas station that I was sitting at in my car when I was listening to you guys go on Angie's show to announce that you were going to sign with Rockefeller, and and. To a Rockefeller fan, that meant everything to me. But what did it mean to you guys to join a label of that stature at that time? It meant uh, a second opportunity at, at life in this game. Where gave us all our energy back. Felt like they put our capes back on, turned us back into superheroes. That's how I felt. Did you see it as a pathway for Jewels? Did you see it as a pathway for you? Yeah, it was a major move. I see it as a pathway for the whole movement, everything that we've been trying to do and getting with some people that understood what the movement was and didn't try to stifle us and let our young energy be seen and, you know what I mean? And not trying to make us live through their success but attain our own success by the shit we like to do. So I need you to talk more about one of my favorite things from the Rockefeller show we did, which was finding out that you were engineering sessions for Cam and everything. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know an engineer a long time ago. Uh, Cam used to have an engineer named Carlisle and shit like that. And Carlisle engineered all our sisters when we were younger. I'm sure I used to always ask questions. I was always inquisitive. And uh, I was good with computers. I had to do this whole career training organization shit when I had grad when I when I graduated trying to get a job. So I kind of knew the gist of computers, and I used to always ask Carlisle questions. And then um. When Pro Tools were hitting laptops and shit like that first came out, it would be see the same rig as it would be in the studio. And I started to ask Kyle, why, 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 there's no way that we could possibly have a portable studio. <laughs> and Kyle, I was, yeah, the rock and roll artists do it all the time. It's called an inbox. Keep in mind, it's like 2000. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody know what an inbox <laughs> was. I was the absolute first person, first artist with an inbox. I'm Crazy. probably the one that fucked up the studio game. I'm probably the one that kind of gave the gave the key out to the whole industry because that's after I did that five years later, and studios were shutting down and shit like that, and I seen Rockefeller take away their whole uh, studio budgets from all their artists and give all of them 
inboxes and laptops <laughs> and hold speaker setups and tell them to record like that. And after Rockefeller office started being uh, Beanie and them in there recording in different offices, <laughs> like recording real album tracks inside the office off the inbox, like it was just crazy. So now you, even this setup here, yeah, I'm probably half of the reason why this is going on and shit like that. Hmm. Or and then I remember when I first did a All Star game. In LA, and I bring DMX upstairs, like Busta upstairs. I just had so many people in amazement, like, yo, bro, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> fuck you mean you're recording in this uh, and all of that? And then when Carlisle told me what to get, he's like, get that, come back, and I'll show you how to use it. Mm. I got all the pieces from Guitar Center. <laughs> Came back, and every day I would learn something new and shit like that. And then I um, went from me learning how to do that to you just telling Cam, you might as well just let me record your sessions because every session came with an assistant and every the assistant had to know everything, all the boards and all that shit. So it was kind of simple. I just had to sit behind a computer and record and all that type of shit and use the assistant for all the shit I didn't, didn't know, like plugins and all that type of shit. It was rather genius, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We had arsonist from the heat makers up here and he talked about working with you guys on Diplomatic Immunity Volume 1. They take nine nine of your tracks. Eleven in total when it's all said and done, but nine <laughs> off of that CD. Well, I mean, that has me mind-blowing. The crazy thing is, is that after, when we were doing the track list, is Jim Jim is doing the tracks. He's like, yo, who produced I'm Ready? He was like, yo, Heat Makers. He's like, yo, who produced more than music? He's like, Heat Makers. He's like, who produced um, Santana the Grapes? Like, Heat Makers. He was like, yo, goddamn, you gonna make more money off this album than me. <laughs> so, yeah, that's when he figured it out. Well, has been around for a long time. He was. They start making them beats, kind of put a different sound on what we were doing and shit like that. You know, it felt at home. It just, it just meshed and shit like that. Weren't you guys like the tour guides for a lot of southern artists when they would come to New York? Like, who are some of the guys that you showed around town? A lot of people, man. Ti, Game, Lil Flip. Uh, so, so many. It was just a few, but just period, just a lot. So many artists coming to town that we took out around Cash Money and them, Baby Wayne and them. Oh man, um, a lot of gangsters too. We took around the town. A lot of gangsters from other states that we took around New York and shit like that. Let them feel our town and see how we live in and shit like that. Um, we mix it up a lot. A lot of hustlers we come to the town. We take them to go shopping, take them to the clubs and shit like that. They bust up thousands of dollars on bottles and shit like that. That's when you know New York was at its highest moment and shit like that. And there were a plethora of clubs for us to go to and have and have a ball at. Was Master P one of those people? When did you first meet him? Master P, uh, we met him the, the day of the oh no, you remember when he did the track. He did the track for us. I believe we was in L.A. I would like to say we was in L.A. When he did the track and then Cam got him to do the video. And mm. He came to haul on me. And me and Cam was wasting his time. Remember like, <laughs> when we was shooting the video and he told us some fly shit. Like, y'all niggas, y'all niggas, y'all niggas got 40 minutes. I'm worth 23 million, boy. Y'all got me out here in the middle of Harlem. Me and Cam just bust out laughing. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> Hey guys, we just wanted to interrupt for a second to remind you that this episode is sponsored by our friends over at Martel Cognac. Nobody likes hearing straight ad copy. Right. Like, ever. Right. But I think that we figured out a way to make it more palatable. I agree. Not only is Wale a spokesman for Martel, but so is Quavo. 
Martel is bringing VS Cognac to a new level with the introduction of Martel VS Single Distillery, a cognac of exceptional richness Mama! and vivid fruit aromas. Oh! Martel VS Single Distillery reveals pleasant notes of plum, hey! apricot, what? and candied lemon, yep. and rich fruity flavors on the palate. Uh. As a pioneer in the spirits world, Martel continues its legacy with Martel Blue Swift. The first ever VSOP cognac finished in Kentucky bourbon barrel. Martel Blue Swift combines Martel's signature style of delicate fruit and plum notes, now complemented by the subtle sweetness of vanilla and toasted oak from the bourbon casks. We're talking gourmet aromas and caramelized pears with subtle hints of vanilla and coconut Ooh. and ginger and candice fruits and plums going by the whole wreck going by the whole wreck going by the whole wreck going by the whole stone. with a smooth long-lasting oak finish we Shout outs to our friends over at Martel Cognac. Over 300 years of great tradition from the oldest of the four great cognac houses, Martel Cognac. What you been sipping on, Martel Cognac? And now back to our interview with Jim Jones. Another clip from Arsonist that we really liked was when he talked about um, Dipset's effect on the South. Recently, um, Joe Budden on Everyday Struggle said that he gives credit to Dipset for enabling the South to sort of like grow beyond just the South. Of course. We may, uh, and listen, what I'm, what I'm saying now is going to seem blasphemous, but understand what I'm saying and, and really think about it. We help create trap music. Now, when I say that, think about the records that I made and think about the bounce. Think about Postman. Ch- take out the kicks and snares on Postman. It's a trap song. Wait a minute, Mr. I mean, not even the snares. Let's take out the kicks and put 808s. Mm. Wait a minute, Mr. <laughs> it's a trap song. The bounce was a trap song. A lot of the Dipset records were, I made a lot of my beats slower. But I, I used crazy hi-hats to make them feel like they were moving faster than what they were. So that's what's going on now. The same crazy hi-hats. Because I remember Timbaland used to have his hi-hats a certain way. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to do it like that. That's too fast. So I would put my shit on like a 16th and a 3rd for all the producers. They would know what that means. <laughs> but it's like, it's a different swing. You know what I mean? And it gave a different type of bounce. And producers do it to this day. They, they, they switch it up. But they do that. They, you know, like if you listen to the hi-hats, a lot of that is reminiscent of the stuff that I did in 2000. So it's not, it's not far-fetched to say that Dipset helped Enable us out. Um, Cam went to college in Dallas. So when he would come back from college all the time and shit like that, he just would tell us about so much different music from the South and all that type of shit. Like, no, nah, I'm telling you, it was a different sound, but it'd be going crazy out there. <laughs> and keep in mind, we teenagers and shit like that. So that kind of stuck stuck with us. And as he started getting his deal, this the South, he was just fans of it at that point. And, Twister from Chicago, like it's just a whole different sound of music. We always was fans of and shit like that, and um, we knew to kind of navigate around the country. The best thing we do is get to these places and kind of soak it all up and put our own twist in it, and you know what I mean. Build rapport with all these artists in the south and shit like that, and make it a smooth transition and shit for us to move back and forth through the country and make music and all that type of shit and. Then our sound kind of like fused our 
New York sound with a down south type of sound, and now you can play dip set records inside the club with down south records, and it just you know, yeah, it worked. I wouldn't say we premeditated that, but it was part of it, part of a sketchy plan, you know. When did you move to Jersey? Um, we moved to Jersey. I camp signed his deal in ninety seven, ninety eight. I stayed in Harlem until my apartment got raided, probably like. A, mm, I want to see my apartment got raided in 99, 2000, mm. maybe. Something like that. Jesus, were you home when it got raided? Yeah. Mm. What was that like? What? Scary. Concussion grenades, a lot of smoke. Jesus. Big machine guns in your face. So ill. Bunch of police rushing in your apartment, kicking you on the floor. Were they breaking your shit? Um... No, they didn't break too much shit. After after they got in, my uncle was trying to hold it, hold them from getting in, hold the whole door closed <laughs> with his feet and his hands on the door and shit like that. It was crazy. After they got in, it was just like my uncle was like, all right, all right. <laughs> let me just make this easy for y'all and um, <laughs> show you what's going on. My uncle just showed him what, what, what the dope was and like both of us up and shit. <laughs> Good experience. Yeah, my uncle took the rap dolls. My nigga for life. Mm. I feel like you're using the word "good" wrong. Yeah, no kidding. You said it was a good experience. Yeah, where we from? It definitely is a good experience. You know, it's a real scared straight when you go through moments like that and knowing that your freedom could be taken from you or a F could be put on your report card, which is a felony and might prohibit you from doing something great in life and shit like that. And you got somebody great like your uncle. Take the rap for you Because you know how great you probably could be Did you see it for yourself? Yeah, I get a glimpse of it every now and then How great you could be? Mm-hmm. But but you believed in it? Yeah, I always believed in what I could do I never knew what I was going to do But I always knew that it would be something And I'd be in front of a lot of people and Certainly you were dope behind the lens and And we know what you were doing in the studio But when did you decide that Jim Jones was going to be in front of the camera. I always knew I was an artist, just who I was. Didn't have to rap, I just was a different type of artist. And when I did get a chance to do music and shit like that, I led with my lifestyle as opposed to the music. And my music caught up. As I as you get used to anything, you get better at it. Like you shoot a thousand basketballs every day, you're going to get a jump shot sooner or later. So, you know what I mean? But my lifestyle was a real thing. It was a real movie for people to watch. You know what I mean? And content was everything for Dipset back in the days. We gave them a different look on the industry. Nobody was kind of capitalizing on that type of content. Yo, Dipset were the the content kings. At the height of banging just started in New York City and people only known for being in the West Coast or Chicago and you got New York bloods and nobody understanding what's going on. And you got this young kid from Harlem just brazy as fuck. <laughs> Who gave you your first deal? My first deal was uh, under, uh, not entertainment. Uh, it was Koch. Yeah, Alan Grunblatt. Alan Grunblatt gave me my first deal. But you self-funded it, right? Well, I, I self-funded it until I got my first deal. Mm. I kind of did the music. I was already doing the music before my sign to Alan and shit like that. And by the time I got to Alan, I already had certified gangsters on the mm-hmm. radio and all that type of shit. <laughs> I probably... Spent the upwards of about fifty thousand dollars out of my pocket every night in the Sony studio, cashing them out mm. eight hundred, nine hundred dollars a day. Did you shoot that video, or was that um, 
under Koch. I got the uh, budget from Koch, and then I flew to L.A. Got with some some good bloods that I know out there. Shout out to my nigga Wacko. Mm. Wacko, what's up, gangster? <laughs> Booyah tribe. Hey, let me let me do what I need to do out there as far as showcases how real we are as being bloods in New York and let them know it's you know it's all the same struggle, man. Ain't no different than the deaths. Do you think you surprised people with certified gangsters? Um, yeah. I, I, I gave New York a new a new sound. Uh, I, I gave West Coast a nostalgic sound. It, it worked at that time. I mean, it's some new coaches matched. I mean, I went to went to L.A. did the video. The video matched. Mm-hmm. It was dope. You know what I mean? Game game games first time being seen on. Any type of television was in certified gangsters, so it was a monumental, monumental video. But you did that solo deal with Koch, and and obviously that was after you guys left Rockefeller. Was there ever a thought while you were at Rockefeller that you'd put out a Jim Jones album over there? We was all Rockefeller when I did the deal at Koch. Oh, really? Yeah, after I did the the deal at Koch while Cam and I was... Did they deal at Rockefeller because Rockefeller didn't want to give me a deal, so I mean, can't. So it was on the table. It was it was an idea. Yeah, I wanted a million dollars. Dame didn't want to give me. Oh. A million <laughs> is it too late? <laughs> <laughs> when Fifty Cent was calling Katja Graveyard, did you give a shit? Nah. <laughs> shit, Graveyard was paying me millions of dollars. <laughs> Fuck that! I'm the gravekeeper there. <laughs> it's a hell of a graveyard. Yeah. So we were just down at South by Southwest, and Mass Appeal had a huge show. Big show. That Just Blaze was DJing, and he put on Ballin'. You know, we're talking 2018, the song is still going off, 4,000 people in the audience, and it's in Austin, Texas, and they're all doing the Ballin' motion. And it was amazing. It was amazing. Did you see that coming when you wrote the song? Yeah, did you see the longevity? Do you think that it surprised people? That surprises me to this day. Mm. Uh, it makes me cringe and surprises me at the same time. I, I, I got a, a love-hate relationship with that song at this point, but, you know, it's definitely a historical song. I call it a Michael Jackson hit. That shit hit forever. It ain't <laughs> going nowhere no time soon, and, you know. It's theme music. It's like a couple of other records that come on, you, you're going to know them, whether they're from the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. It's just another one to add to the bunch. What else do you feel is forever? I really mean it. Dipset anthem. I really mean it. It's forever. There's a few records that's forever and shit like that. Oh, Hey Ma. Oh, Boy is forever. Yep. Hey Ma. Dipset anthem is forever. Hey Ma is forever. We got a few. <laughs> what does the phrase um, powerful music mean to you? Powerful music. Um... Music that does something to you. Like, uh, a lot of people make good music, but not a lot of people make powerful music. Um, Tupac make powerful music. But was that like a phrase that you guys were saying around that time, or did you just use that for the song? Well, that was just a phrase that was part of a slogan. We make powerful music. Like That's a true story. We make music that hit the soul. Music that make you want to do some shit. You know what I mean? When you were talking on Come Home With Me, did you have that mapped out in your head or was that like, put me in the booth and let me go? Um, 
I just pretty much put me in the booth and let me go after I sit down and think about it. I don't really use no pens. I got a I got a good brain. They say if you the shit that I do is using both the sides of my brains at the same time. That's kind of not normal and shit <laughs> like that. So I guess I'm gifted. You put balling out. It goes crazy. That has to open up your touring as a solo artist. What was your biggest market for you outside of, of New York City? Yeah. It didn't matter where I went. That shit was on fucking fire. Out of the country too? Out of wherever. It didn't matter. That shit was on fucking fire. That shit just was spoiled. Mm. You dig? Out of the country. They didn't know nothing. I could do an hour worth of songs. And as soon as bowling come on, <laughs> they with it. They happy. Yeah. That's what we was waiting for this whole time. So. Were you a Giants fan? Yeah. Or did you just become a Giants fan because like they used the song? Oh, some bandwagon Jets like fan? Six when they wanted Super Bowl mm-hmm. with Jojo Morrison and the shit like that. High 97, Summer Jam, every year. Every year. Dipset comes on stage and it would rain. Fact. <laughs> so, what's up with that? Yeah. I don't know. Every year we would buy bigger, bigger rings so it could shine inside that spotlight, though, mm. in the rain. <laughs> they didn't care about the rain. We cared about shining. So, every year we made sure we brought new cars and new diamonds mm. just to go to Summer Jam. Follow up. What's the most amount of people you've had on stage? <laughs> Us? Dipset? Oh, man. I couldn't even tell you. That's fucking ridiculous sometimes, man. I don't even know how, how them people get on the stage half the time, man. <laughs> See, but now you roll with a small crew. Yeah, I cool out now. I'm a little bit older, man. I ain't got to. I don't think nobody want to see me doing that. I think, <laughs> I think I proved myself. I don't think. I don't think nobody want to get in my way for any type of reason can you talk for a second about your influence on style right now it's a big influence mm-hmm. um i, I kind of birthed the rock star style whole chain gang style i made everybody wear slimmer clothes all the flamboyant shirts and all the shit that niggas is wearing i kind of put that in effect i mean they doing the way slimmer than i was doing <laughs> almost too some of them doing almost to a feminine point, but I guess that's what they doing. That's not what I'm doing, but, you know. I mean, I'm just a stylist dude, like I said. Since high school, I've been doing shit that people have been copying and shit like that, whether making my own denim suits or putting my own suits or somebody else's clothes. And, you know, it's infectious and shit like that. If you be around me and shit like that, you learn how to put a different swag on your dress and shit like that. Like, you, you just pick it up, you know what I mean? Like, same thing I bring to the game. Like, you know, I dress different. I dress in my own way. I'm from Harlem. You get dressing lessons when you come outside every day. You get fresh lessons, nigga. You come outside and you ain't on top of your fresh. Niggas gonna heat you up. They gonna make jokes about you. They gonna, bitches gonna laugh at you. So, one thing that we made sure we learned how to do is stay flying Harlem, man. You know, that comes with the edge. Whose idea was Dipset Christmas? That was my idea. I just wanted to get another check out of that. <laughs> Trying to figure out how I can get another half a million out of him. December's coming up. Fucking Thanksgiving. Like, yo, by the way, I'm going to do a Dipset Christmas. Let me get this check real quick. I still can't believe it happened. It ended up being very dope. Album. My yeah. favorite album to make was Stax. Stax was very instrumental, instrumental on doing the whole Dipset Christmas. He was with it. Like, yo, jeez, jeez, this shit is dope, jeez. You don't even know. This is going to go in the hood, jeez. It's my nigga Stacks, man. Yeah, that was that was really his album right there. He, I should have put him as executive producer on that because mm. he really filled in the blanks on that album. What's your favorite song off of it? Um, I don't know. I I I don't really like the verses I was on. I just like all the Stacks verses that was on that shit. There's a few of them on there. You know, I'm good. I'm bad with music, especially my own music. After I 
recording the studio nine times out of ten, I forget it. I don't know half the records on half of my albums. Really? So songs come up that you did a feature on, and you're like, oh, right. I don't even know that shit <laughs> <laughs> at all. Oh, you know what? We first met you at the video set for... Uh, Youngberg. Youngberg Remix. With Rich, with Rich Boy. Boy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That was an odd group. Just three friends hanging out. Odd, odd group. Odd group. <laughs> odd group of gentlemen for that remix. <laughs> yeah. I like to know you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was a good one. And then not long after, we came to visit you at Warner Music Group, where you were an A&R at the time. We would stop by A&R your office. Direct- what do you remember about that time? A direct shit. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> what did you do with some of those budgets? Well, I had fun with some of them budgets, man. It made sense. They gave me a credit card, gave me an office, gave me some responsibilities, shitload of money above my head to spend. As long as I spend it right and I'm just justifiable. <laughs> And I know how to do one thing I know how to do is justify some shit. Yo, who can do more damage on a corporate card, you or Mike Kaiser? Oh, no, I don't even know. <laughs> I wouldn't even put my bro out there like that. I don't, I don't even know what Burger be doing. You heard? <laughs> this shit must be out there if you're asking me, though. This shit must be legend. <laughs> um, wait, didn't you have a fish tank in your office? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a fish on, tank in my on office. On a wall, yeah. Me, my office? Yeah. No, I didn't have, uh, maybe. Yeah. It was definitely there. <laughs> I can't remember. Did Yandy put a fish tank in there? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, Yandy, if you're listening, leave a comment. Let us know. You know, we I'll need to high. figure this out. I was high that whole shit in there. Well, who were some of the artists that you were able to work with over there? Who the fuck did I work with? It was one <laughs> artist that they had that um, Leo had gave me, uh, that Leo had liked. I forgot his name. But he loved his artist. and ended up giving me like a million dollar budget to take him to Miami. And Damn. Executive producer shit and get some records on them. The kid ended up having like one record. You know, you go to one of these yeah. talent shows, and I guess that one record must have wooed Leo. Leo signed <laughs> him on the spot, and the nigga ended up being garbage, man. Damn. You and Puff got close back then, didn't you? Yeah, I know Puff for a minute, back and forth. That's my nigga. It's big, bro. You had a song with Puff and, and Paul Wall. Uh, and Jaja. Oh, What You Been Sipping On. And, um, a few songs with Diddy. Diddy been on a couple of records. Yeah. yeah, great record. Yeah, What mm-hmm. You Been Sipping On. Wait, really yeah, important question. Diddy. How many people are on Dipset? How many people are on this whole army of us? I mean, there's a few artists, but it's more of an army than anything. Name them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but how did the, how did the Cat Williams thing happen? Um, killer being uh, a businessman and trying to find out different angles that could make diplomats bigger and I thought that was genius Cat Williams was on fire at the time like, shoot it was Cat Williams literally you know, yeah. and he was rubbing the diplomats hard so yeah. it was dope and Dipskate was your idea yeah just trying to get into the X Games like, I'm, still fan. I'm still a fan of the X Games and mm. the BMXs and all that type of shit what's some business that we don't know about that diplomats were involved in that you thought could have been the next big thing i mean legally we're trying to do cologne when we did the old boy we're trying to do the old boy cologne but we couldn't find the right cologne manufacturer and shit like that did you go through the testing yeah and were smells? you testing out smells yeah but dame had hooked us up with this bullshit nigga that made cologne <laughs> bullshit nigga ended up fucking up our whole gaffle so we just left it at that hmm. so talking about style you knew ASAP Ferg very early. Yeah, I know Ferg from baby. Actually, let's play a clip of Ferg up here talking about his belt business. One meeting we had, me, Jim Jones, and B.B. Simon was this belt guy. He had the big factory in L.A. where he, like, it was Savosky Crystals, like, where they just make all these belts and stuff. So he was like, B.B. Simon wanted to do a belt with Jim Jones because he seen Jim Jones was 
doing uh, wearing his a lot of his yeah. belts skulls. So what Jim Jones was going to do, he was going to bring me in to design the belts. Right. You know what I'm saying? And like, so we it was like a you were ghostwriting the belts. The belts, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know. We had another meeting at this uh, event that Stan Lee and Neo and Joe Jackson had, and I met B.B. Simon there, but Jim Jones didn't show up. Right. So I'm like, damn, Jim is fucking it up. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, damn, this, he, this dude is ready to go. Like, I'm like, man, this is it. Like, yeah. I'm going to L.A. I'm about to make these belts. But he never showed up, and Simon didn't really want to do business with me if he it was if it wasn't with Jim, because Jim is the face. So, like, it kind of fell apart, and, you know. Whatever, but I just thank Jim for even, you know, even thinking about me to to yeah, be in that sure. situation. Yeah, yeah, he was making bills. Did you see it for him for what rapping? Yeah, rapping or, or style or just whatever. He always yeah. had like yeah. he always wanted to be in fashion. He would always come out of studio, show me his little t shirts he made, or show me his belt. I got one of his belts still in my house. Hmm. It was like a red bottom belt. The back of the belt was red, and the front was camouflage and shit like that. Ferg was mad at me. I ain't give him seven hundred dollars back then <laughs> to go get some supplies to make some more belts and shit like that. He still got a little grudge about. <laughs> Did you know his father? It's my nigga though. Yeah, I know his father. Father's from Harlem. Mm-hmm. Older dude, forty fifth. You know, yeah. hustling type. Get get in between things. Not too aggressive. More about getting money. Than, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was on that side of the fence all. What did you think when you saw the the Calvin Klein billboards with the whole ASAP Mob on there? That's dope. That was very fly, very fly. That was very cultural appropriate, I think. Or yeah. you had a chance to sign some other kids. We know that that Jay Cole and his team came to you at one point. Jay Cole didn't have a team when they came. Mm. <laughs> he didn't have a team. It was just Jay Cole rapping, little light skinned kid coming to the studio every day rapping like Drake. And at that point, it was Drake. I didn't know, niggas didn't know what to do with no Drake. Drake was just like a phenomenon at that point. Yeah, you can't have two of them right now. <laughs> As you see, it took him a few years after that to kind of find his place and what he wanted to do. You know what I mean? He ain't rapping like Drake no more, but when he was in my studio, he was. <laughs> Actually, Eric and I were both there when you did your Broadway show, mm-hmm. Shouts to Sophie Ash. How you like um, I liked it. I was sitting next to Angela Yee. We had a great time. Yo, you paid great tribute to Stax that night. What was your process in putting it together? Um, being creative. It was really supposed to be a listening session. So, you know, I signed to Sony. I know I had a little bit of a budget for marketing and promotion. And I was like, man, I want to do... Something totally different from my listening session. I want to act at every song like I was in a play. And I was just going to do some simple shit. And then it's like, you know, Andy, find a director. And, you know, Dame at that time, I had acquired Dame to help me do a lot of shit. And, you know, turned into a big production and ended up being like 22 people in a musical. And I was practicing every night for four or five hours and <laughs> every day and for the last two weeks for eight hours a day. And just, you know, um, we was in there when um, Obama got elected. Really? The night Obama got elected, we was uh, in the midst of rehearsal. And Brooke Shields was in there, I believe. <laughs> and what was she so doing another, there? Another actor. She was checking out my production. <laughs> One of Dame friends, he was calling a lot of people over this to see. Wow, the musical that we was doing and bringing them through practice and you know people giving us pointers and shit like that. Were you nervous? Nah, not really. Hmm. It's cool. Once I got some, I got some. Do you get nervous ever? Yeah, a lot, hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Never being nervous is a great thing. It's part of life. 
so often over the past um, five or six years, there would be a big announcement from Funkmaster Flex or whoever the Dipset was about to do a reunion, and we'd get all excited and, and mark the date in the calendar, and, and then it wouldn't happen. Nope. And then we'd get excited again, and, and, it, and it wouldn't happen again. <laughs> and finally, Spotify put together a show uh, last year, and the whole Dipset showed up and killed. I mean, apparently. apparently yeah, yeah, we weren't. Because we, we, we didn't get in. We were stuck outside with a million other people in the street, and the cops weren't happy. No, I mean, but what well, we thought that it had been canceled because we saw Cam and, like, half of Harlem, like, walking down the street to a garage <laughs> and then hashing it out with Spotify people to come back inside. Yeah, and- that was a hell of a, <laughs> hell of a mess out there. But, I mean, it's, it's natural, man. If you ever been to a Dipset concert in the year. And we have. That was a great feeling. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. What's your favorite Dipset reunion? Because there's been like 30. I would like to say the BET, when we did the BET Awards, mm. I liked that. That was dope. You know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Joe LaPuma, you guys go way back. You you were actually the inspiration for sneaker shopping on Complex. Oh, man, that's my guy. I mean, I told him a lot about sneaker shopping from a real sneakers head perspective. I mean, a sneaker head, not like a sneaker head, but, you know. A dope boy sneakerhead. Yeah, we the reason why there are sneakerheads. They just they just started being sneakerheads. Dope boys been the sneakerheads. They were the only ones that were, had the money to buy all the sneakers that dropped every week or all the sneakers that dropped every day. It was the dope boys that had the money for that. And that tradition followed with the rappers who end up getting rap deals and wanted to be like the dope boys, and they kept it going from the uh, late 80s all the way to now. I mean, in, in the mid-80s and in the early 80s, sneakers just kind of started getting w- popping and shit like that when you had the Pumas with the fat shoelaces, you had the shell toes, but it wasn't that many variations. Cortez started popping a little bit after that, but they was rocking British walkers and all that type of shit back then, and pinstripe, like, it was just a whole different type of fashion, so... As the late 80s came on, when the dope boy hustler niggas from Harlem started getting in, mob style type of niggas and all that, that's when the sneakers started to come in into heavy, and that's when all the really dope boy fashion started to come in heavy and shit like that. And then by the time the 90s came, and so the 90 drop, Jordans was in full effect, Nike was super booming, it just was all about Nike. After that, niggas had to have a fresh pair. It wasn't no more British walkers, none of that <laughs> shit. It was Timberlands, B from Broccoli's, High Top Constructions, 40 Below's, and some Nikes or the Reebok Classics, or the different pair, the soft ones. That was, you know, only get me to talk about <laughs> What were some of the sneaker stores you would hit up as a as a teenager? Mr. G's was like the the, the, the name, the main sneaker store we would hit on the east side. And Mr. G's started off as a full toy store, then turned half a toy store <laughs> into half a sneaker store, then turned into a whole sneaker store and they used to have everything. Uh, everything Mr. G's had, bro. Like, everything. So I'm from, like, 87 to, like, through high school. That's 3rd Avenue. Then you had Dave's right next to Mr. G's. And you had Pegasus on um, the Hunt Knife that was a block down. You had Tom, Dick, and Harry between the Hunt 5th and the Hunt, hunt 6th and the Hunt 7th and shit like that. Um, you had sneaker stores on Hunt 21st Street. You had Jans that was always popping. That was more for jeans and shit like that. Um, 45th Street, you go upstairs at K- KP's and all that shit. They had KP Cons, I believe it was called back then. They had sneakers. Then J- BJ's, they had sneakers up there. Um, there's a lot of sneaker stores in Harlem, man. It has places where it had, always had the old school sneakers on Broadway, like by 33, 33. That was like 
all over, all over, all over Harlem. There were sneakers that, that that we was trying to get, and we trying to get a deal too. You know, you had Dr. J's. We go to Dr. J's sometimes to go shop on the table. The table was the thirty dollar sneakers, but they would have all the last year sneakers out on the table. And if you was a fly nigga, you know how to finesse the last year. <laughs> a pair of old sneakers always looked as good as a pair of new sneakers if they was brand new. If I could bring out a pair caught force from last year on you this year, and they <laughs> brand spanking new, you like. Oh, you still where you get those from? It's just like how it is now. When kids love these retro kicks, and you get a fresh pair of old J's, and niggas go crazy. It was the same back then. Like you had a fresh pair of kicks from last season, and niggas ain't got no more. You lit. So you know. You met Doctor J, didn't you? Yeah, I met Doctor J at a commercial, Converse commercial. We got to shoot. Cool dude, dope. <laughs> Doctor J. Not to like belabor the point, but you haven't actually filmed a sneaker shopping episode with Joe. Are you going to? I don't know. <laughs> if you do, he probably just have to come to G's to my sneaker store. <laughs> and we just have some sneaker talk. Dig. It's a little yeah. bit different now. I ain't got to go nowhere for sneakers no more. We got our own infrastructure. <laughs> GBNY. He could meet me there. And we could go to all G sneaker stores. They got like five of them. Mm. I mean, that's where I get all my stickers from. You're wearing a track jacket by Emery Jones for Puma. Yeah. What's your What's your relationship with Emery? Um, it's OG. Shouts to Big M. Big bro. Little Little bigger bro than me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the that's the that's the bro right there, man. Good guy, got good energy. You know what I mean? Just pressing pressing the issue for the for the culture at the moment. When it come to fashion and shit like that, you know, his name ring bells and shit like that. And come to Puma, he's done a lot as far as fusing the culture with Puma and giving them some dope artists up there. So, you know, shout out to Big M. How many times in your life have you thrown up the rock? I, um, I haven't. <laughs> they didn't make you do when you signed in the Rock Nation? I thought it, yeah. They didn't make me do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Shook Juan's hand. <laughs> Shouts to OG Wall, man. Shouts to everybody over at Rock Nation, man. They got a hell of a staff, man. A hell of an infrastructure over there, man. You know, man. Obviously, they can see see the bigger picture, and you know, they're businessmen over there, so it works, man. And they helping me out with this wasted talent project, there. So should be a lot of should be a lot of fun. Wasted talent comes out on Friday, April thirteenth. And then what? You gonna do any spot dates around? I'm gonna do a little promo tour. I got a little movie that I'm shooting to the for the video, mm. like twenty minute mini movie. Um, plan on doing the screening for that. You gonna be behind the lens? Yeah, both behind and in front. Mm. Um, dope ass concept. When people see it, they're gonna be like, "That was dope." Cause it's a bit of a like I would say the movie is built around the movie. I'm gonna just tell y'all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, is there a chance that you do another Broadway show? Yes, I would love to. I just gotta get get it together. That's not something. It's not the easiest thing we can do. You know what I mean? Like, well, no. I, listen, I, we got the financing. Oh shit, we're yeah, good. Let's do it. Let's I, do it. I know Brooke Shields. <laughs> no, but that's something I love doing that. Uh, doing that play. That was one of the one of the one of the funner things that I've done in my career. Yeah, was that play? I really got it. A great feeling when I did that play. You know, you know when you do something good and you can feel it, and that's what that play did for me. It broke a lot of barriers too, because I did something that I know nobody in this game has done as yet, and I don't think nobody has the charisma to pull it off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things that you've done that a lot of people don't have the charisma or talents to pull off. I think you know you're multifaceted. Do you ever sit back and think that like you're very unique in this business? 
Yeah, I always think about that. I mean, I'm very unique in life. I just, you know, it's just hard when you, it's harder to sell yourself and yeah. it's better to have other people sell you. We get it. Well, weren't you also one of the first people to, um, in hip hop to do reality TV? Yeah, I kind of. Yo. Or were you the first? Yo, I'll, I'll say it. That lane I'll say it. Mona, Mona stole your idea. Yeah, she did. It was cool. She got. She kind of was a little bit smarter than me at that. You know, but shit happens for a reason. Life is life, man. You know, I get all minds back. Mm. You did, but reality TV. I put that on the map for a lot of people. You know what I mean, as I watched it today, it makes but, me laugh. But you know what's interesting about the way you did it is that, like, there's a lot of people who are like done and retired and doing it now it gives them like a second wave like you were right in the middle of your career yeah i mean i always look for different opportunities to you know advance and, and doing new shit and that's one i should have capitalized off of but i still got time to capitalize off of as content and, and new production and new shows or something that's going on every day uh, you know when it comes to us being on tv we kind of got a knack for doing that shit as we got to boot camp show that's on right now and I think the only reason people watch it is to see us anyway so you know maybe I <laughs> um, so you've done a lot of things in terms of fashion in terms of music in terms of movies in terms of music videos in terms of engineering I taught a school curriculum high school curriculum for like four years right right music biz one on one shouts to all my kids who've taken my class and graduated from my class was it just to say look out for the snakes <laughs> what <laughs> music <laughs> business one on one yeah oh no that was uh, it was um it was a, it's a high school curriculum to take a whole high school classroom and break it down into a fully functioning record label and I show them how to market and promote a artist and a single from beginning to the end and what it takes and entails and everybody takes their responsibility of the department and then I bring somebody from uh, somebody new from each of the department explain the kids what their job uh, responsibilities are and then um, you know they get it they give them a little test at the end they and then the when shit. do when do you buy all the bottles for TI oh <laughs> shit oh shit when does that fit in shit, that's my man. favorite part of the music man. business yeah I need to get back there again <laughs> Um, have you ever thought about taking another job in a building? Um, yeah, I mean, shit, why not? Let me see. I'm worth, I'm worth a lot. You dig? I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a, I, you started know, a million dollars. And stay, then, you yeah, know, yeah. Go up. Yeah. I think it'll work. <laughs> I think it worked. Wait, when you did work at the at uh, WMG, did they give you like a pass? Did you to like show to security every day? Like, yeah, have security it? pass, have everything. Oh, full full one k benefits. What? Everything. Checking with HR and all had that. The full Getting shit. lunch everything. down the street I was at like the, the corner cafe. I was the director of the A and R for Warner Music Group. My shit was big. Who were some no of your fellow A and R? Nigel Talley. Nigel wasn't there at the no. time. Who else was working with you? I don't know. And I was. <laughs> I don't fuck about that. I don't care about none of that, bro. I don't care who's working with me. Yo, what's the what's the most bizarre check you ever got? Um, the most bizarre check I ever got. I don't want to talk about. <laughs> but you got some. I got a few checks for. Uh, I got a few multi million dollar checks mm. that are all that I blew all of. Oh, okay. You heard? Um, did you ever do Flex's car show? Yeah, a bunch of times. How'd you do? We used to tear them shits down. <laughs> we used to race them shits in on like 20 foreign cars doing a buck 40, buck 50 down the turnpike every summer. Like a Nissan Sentra. <laughs> nah, we was burning those up. You ain't Toyota be, Corolla. You ain't want to be involved with that if that's what you're growing. 
I'm talking GTs, <laughs> Flying Spurs, Phantoms, Lamborghinis, Range Rovers, 745s, Ben 600s, that's, Porsche That's a drop different kind tops. of shoe shopping, you know, well, on those, on I mean, those the, cars. We're yeah. all talking about foreign cars here. <laughs> yeah. Mitsubishi yeah. Galant. <laughs> that's a fact. That's definitely a foreign joint right there. Um, talk about Harlem now. Like, what, is, what does Harlem mean to you now up here? Like, it's, it's not the same place that you moved out of back in 99. Nah, Harlem is gentrified. There's a big gentrification going on up there, which is dope, man. You know, Harlem has always been uh, not the most presentable place. I mean, not, not the most prettiest landscape that you wanted to walk through when we was coming up. It was just our home, so we found the beauty in it and shit like that. So to see all these dope buildings going up and they changing the landscape and it looks a little bit better and shit like that, I like it. I mean, I just hope they keep it true to the people that grew up there and don't start to kick us out like they've done in all these other urban communities around the country, like in Chicago, when they tore down Cabrini Greens and they kicked them all out to the suburbs and shit like that. Like, when Harlem people need to be in Harlem, you know, all these new jobs and businesses they create. And they, we, we 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 can work. Everybody doesn't have a felony. There's a few people in Harlem that, that could get a job, you know what I mean? Like, so... That's my thing. Hopefully, they provide some jobs for the for the people that they come up there. For the people you're trying to kick out of their apartments, they grew up in all of their life to make you some money. Why don't you give them a job at the same time and mm. help us live too? Um, did you spend time in Central Park or you know uh, Central Park pool mm. every summer when we was younger? A night pool, jumping over the fence, or they <laughs> cut a hole in the fence and you going in there at nighttime when it was too hot. Mm. Yeah, that's what we did. Central Park Pool, Jefferson Pool, Morris Pool, um, Uptown, uh, what the fuck, Riverton Pool, I believe it is. We used to go to all of the pools, man. It's mm. so crazy. Pools was dangerous, though. Very dangerous for women and shit like that. Like, I seen a lot of girls get violated when we were younger. When we were younger, it was all fun and games and shit like that. Looking mm -hmm. back now, if that was my daughter that had to go through that up shit. Why catch a body? Mm. But that's coming up in the ghetto, you heard? They justify everything. Mm. Oh wait, we didn't talk about where did you get mixtapes? Where did we get mixtapes? Um, uh, Hall of Music Hut probably we all spend by there go go get the mixtapes from Hall of Music Hall of Music Hut. But there's a lot of places in Harlem you get mixtapes. My man Luke Luke Abrazi had the whole CD circuit on Smash on the Hunt Forty Fifth Street. We ain't had to go nowhere after a while. Luke had everything. Right? <laughs> the whole world. Used to come to Forty Fish to buy drugs, clothes, and, and bootleg CDs. Just everything you need. <laughs> what else more could you want? Well, congratulations on on everything, especially Waste of Talent. We can't wait to see the the mini movie, which you won't tell us the plot for, but that's fine. We'll we'll wait. Um, and uh, and we appreciate you coming through. Oh man, thanks for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. You asked me so many fucking questions. <laughs> <laughs> We appreciate you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real. Jeff, if people want to find out more about us, we are It's The Real. For anybody who thinks that we're the women's talk show, The Real, that's not us. Not anymore. We are It's The Real. One word. No apostrophe. No spaces. Jeff, if they're looking to find out more about us. Where can they go? You can always go to itstherial.com. You'll see our two smiling mugs on there. Not five women from the women's talk show, The Real. Isn't that crazy, by the way? Like, you to email us on our website, you have to go through, like, a bunch of different pages and see a bunch of different pictures, and none of them 
our Atrium by Lon and Tamar Braxton. Again, not anymore. We've changed our website. You can always find all of our episodes, old and new, on iTunes. Search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Why don't you go subscribe? Why don't you comment? Leave a five-star review, then come back. Go to soundcloud.com slash a waste of time and do the same thing over there. Yeah. Life is short. Spend it wisely. Yeah. <laughs> you can also go and listen to our music, soundcloud.com slash it's the real or on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Google Play. Yo, Ain't No Jigga was giving us a tough time because we didn't send the title link. But you know what? It's, it's on there. there. It's there. Go to Tidal. Search for Teddy Bear Fresh. Our artist splits are the best on title. Hey. So shout out to ASCAP <laughs> and everybody over there. You can always find us on Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real. We are also on Reddit at It's It's The Real. Been getting a lot of clout coins there. Yeah. And we are also on Snapchat, but are not we? really. No, I mean, like, it's there. Somebody right. sent me a message the other day, and I was like, eh, <laughs> this whole thing. Jeff. This podcast is not going anywhere unless we take the time right now at the end of every episode to shout out those people who we consider real-life friends and hope that they do us the favor of passing on word about this podcast to their friends, the people that they consider family and close to kin. So, Jeff, who do you want to shout out today? I want to shout out two people that I saw at Bodega Bam's album release party this past Friday night. I want to shout out Kenneth El La Rosa. Kenneth El La Rosa. Kenneth El La Rosa. He goes by um, Gotham Kenny on Instagram. That was easier. (laughs) Yeah. I also want to shout out Beat Boy. That's Beat Boy with an I, who I had a long conversation with as well. Shout out to them. So shout out to them. Um, I also want to shout out Gotham Kenny's girlfriend. She was nice. That's awesome. And uh, I met a lot of good people over there. And so that was uh, all dope. And shout out to Bodega Bams and Ola for... Definitely. Oh, and everybody at Duck Down Records for keeping Spanish Harlem popping right now. Jeff, I want to shout out somebody that we ran into at Cardi B's New York celebration for her album, her gold album. Mm-hmm. First of all, shout out to all of our friends who worked on that project, Marsha, Ashley, everybody behind the scenes. An amazing job over there at Atlantic Records. I want to shout out, Jeff, somebody that people thought maybe there was a little friction with. Maybe there was a little tense relationship with. Oh, I mean, that's my fault. Somebody who maybe there were some shots thrown back and forth a few months ago, and I want to tell everybody here that when we ran into Nori, our friend Noriega, he was so clear from the Drink Champs podcast that there was no beef. There's no beef. There's no beef. We're friends. We're looking forward to seeing him at the Roots Picnic where we are all performing on the podcast stage on June 2nd. Go get your ticket right now at rootspicnic.com. But shout out to Nori, a great dude who we've known for forever. Came over, big hugs, lots of laughs. He did, you know, shout out our friend uh, standing next to us, Peter, who looks like John Mayer. And he asked if he was John Mayer. But you know what? Not John Mayer. In any event, as always, guys, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. See you guys next week. Brat! Brat!